You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcast series are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Verse 14, it says, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us, you and I, causes us to win in Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be in Christ? Isn't it wonderful? to be in God. You know, I said this to someone some time ago. It would be a scary place to be in this world today and to not have Christ in our lives. And thank God we have him. Every believer, we have him. Listen, and we win no matter what's going on. We're talking about uh, the thought war. This series is into the fourth episode. This is our fourth episode. Now, we've learned, and I wish we could review a little bit more, but we don't have time. Got a lot we want to talk about today. But we've learned in this series that the mind, M-I-N-D, the mind is the comeback zone. We've learned that the mind is Satan's first and primary target to defeat you in your life. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the Bible says, but he need our cooperation. He's a deceiver. He comes to uh, as an angel of light, but he comes in a clandestine, covert way. He hides himself, and we have to be sober, the Bible says, and we have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So today, since we know that the mind is the compact zone and we know that that's the first target, then we have to learn to take control of our thoughts. Take control of our thoughts. Many years ago, many, many, many years ago, the Spirit of God said this to me, and he speaks to me often in my dream life, in the night seasons. He said, in your patience, possess ye your soul. I didn't know that was in the Bible, but that's in the Bible. That's Luke 21, verse 19. And I'm so glad in that revelation that night, he actually interpreted what possess your soul mean. He said, control your thinking. And that's control your thinking in your patience, in your constancy, in your continuing to do the same thing, you have to possess your soul. You have to control, control your thinking. And in this season of COVID-19, uh, mass demonstrations in this season of wandering 
whether or not you're going to have a job or get your job back in this season where many are preparing to send their children to school or whether they're going to learn online is so easy for your mind to just be all over the place. I mean, just all over the place. You know, um, in my prayer life, you know, I find myself praying about so many different kinds of things. So we're in a season now where it's going to be very important. It's always important, but especially now to control our thinking. So how, how, what are some of the insights, Mike, concerning controlling my thought life? Well, the, the first thing that you and I have to agree with God on is that we must agree that we can control our thought life. And that's the first thing I want you to get. We're talking about taking control of our thoughts. That's the subject, taking control of our thoughts. Well, the first thing you must know, embrace, and submit to is you can control your thoughts. Sometimes so many things are coming at us that we feel like we can't control our thoughts. But that's not what God says to us. God says, in your patience, possess or control your thinking. If God says that, and he, he did in Luke 21, 19, then we can do it. Come on, say, I can do it. Come on, say it. I can control my thought life. Come on, say it. You can. Now, I'm going to give you three witnesses. I'm going to give you three witnesses. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 31, and Jesus was talking about worry and overcoming cares and anxiety. And in Matthew 6, 31, the traditional King James, he says, therefore, take no thought saying. Now, we're going to get into this text a little later, but notice what he says, therefore, take no thought thought. Let's stop right there. We'll talk about the say, saying part later. He says, don't take the thought. Don't take the thought. Now that communicates that our thoughts are, are, are not always ours. Uh, our thoughts are not always good. So Jesus tells us to not take a thought of worry. Don't take the thought. When you find yourself worrying and full of anxiety, it's because you have been taking the wrong thoughts. You have been taking the thoughts. So right away we see that we can control them. But in our text that we've been talking about in our prior episode, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5 says that the weapons of our warfare 
are not carnal. They are not fleshly. They are not natural, but mighty to, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And verse five says, casting down imaginations, casting down, imagine, throwing away from you every imagination that exalts itself against God's knowledge, against God's word, and then bring into captivity. That's what the text says, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says that you and I are to bring into captivity. We are to arrest our thoughts. Any thought that exalts itself, in other words, it attempts to take us in a direction away from what God says. That is a thought that's exalting itself. God says one thing, but the thought says something different. Then the Bible says that you and I must make an arrest. We must make an arrest. We must bring into captivity Arrest those thoughts. Don't allow those thoughts to govern your speech. Don't allow those thoughts to govern your action. The scripture says, bring those thoughts into captivity. Arrest those thoughts. That's our second witness. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The traditional King James says, Whatsoever things are true, just, lovely, pure, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, it says, think on these things, things which are just and true and pure and lovely, good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. The scripture says that you and I as believers are to think on these things, which implies there's some other things that we could think on. We could think on things that are not true. We can think on things that are not just. We can think on things that are not a good report. We can think on things that are not virtuous, not praiseworthy. But the Bible says, don't think on these things. Think on this. Don't think on this, but think on this. So that tells us that we're in control. The New Living Translation over in Philippians chapter 8 says, fix your thoughts on these. Now, I'm in control. Come on, say, I am in control. Come on, say it again. I am in control. Let's say it again. I'm in control. Now, I want you to make it personal. I want you to make it personal. I want you to call out your name. I'm going to call out my name, and I'm going to do it for you, and then I want you to follow me. Mike, you're in control. Mike, you can control your thoughts. Mike, you can do it. Mike, you can do it. Now, I want you to say to yourself and call out your name and hear yourself say it. Sharon, Victor, Mark, whoever you are, I want you to say out your name and say, you can control your thoughts. You're in control. Your thoughts are not in control. Come on, say, my thoughts are not controlling me.
I'm in control. I control my thoughts. No one outside of me. Uh, Satan doesn't control my thoughts. Come on, say it. I control my thoughts. Now, if you have been involved in some kind of destructive behavior like pornography and you fed your thoughts and you constantly fed your thoughts, it may be a challenge initially, but if you will hang in there and follow some of my instructions today, I believe you're going to be able to get those those outlaw thoughts under arrest. You got to bring those outlaw thoughts under arrest. So the first thing in controlling your thoughts, if you, you have to agree with God that you can do it. Now, often we're saying, I just can't help it. I can't help worrying. Now you're talking counter against what God says, because God says you don't have to. God says you don't have to. You're choosing to, even though you're choosing in an unconscious way. Now, second thing, where did thoughts come from? Or where do thoughts come from? Where do thoughts come from? To control my thinking, I have to know where thoughts come from. I want to read a text uh, that's going to serve as the foundation of what we're going to talk about understanding the four sources of my thoughts. Where are the thoughts coming from? Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 13 through verse 18 in the New Living Translation, and then I'm going to read verses 21 through 23, and then we're going to talk about the source of our thoughts, the source of our thoughts. In Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others says Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say unto you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, verse 21 through verse 23. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, but that he was and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. 
You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. Now, we're talking about taking control of our thoughts. First, we've learned that we can do it. We can control our thoughts. Secondly, we're asking the question, where does thoughts come from? And we looked at Matthew chapter 16 as our background text. And in the text, there are four sources of thoughts. There are four sources of thoughts. Some thoughts, number one, come from other people. Some thoughts comes from other people. Some thoughts come from other people. Verse 13 and 14, Jesus, uh, the disciple says, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So they were giving their opinion and their answer to what Jesus asked them. Who do men say I am? Well, men were saying certain things. Men thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Others thought he was Elijah. Others thought he was Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So we see the opinions of others can be untrue or inaccurate. And sometimes their opinions can be incomplete, incomplete, inaccurate, untrue. Now, so we have to really be careful when others are giving their opinion. Now, the balance of that is found in Proverbs 15, 22. It says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So the scriptures says that it's good when we are making decisions to get counsel. But even when I give counsel uh, from the scriptures to members and others, I always tell them, you judge it now because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. So we see two opposing thoughts. On the one hand, we have to be very careful about the thoughts that are given to us or originating what other folks say because they can be inaccurate. They, their thoughts can be incomplete or distorted. But on the other hand, God doesn't want us to make decisions in isolation because the Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. So as we're engaged in life and making our decisions, we have to understand first that some thoughts originate in people. They come from others. Now, they may be accurate. They may be inaccurate. They may be inspired by God. They may not be inspired by God. But we need to know that first, thoughts come from other people. Secondly, some thoughts come from ourselves. It's our opinion. It's what we think. Jesus asked Peter, but who do you say 
what do you say? And Peter said, this is what I'm saying about you. So sometimes, you know, it's just what we thought. And we have to be very careful not adding God to something we said, you know. Well, you know, a lot of times, or much of the time, we thought of it. So we have to be mature enough to evaluate whether the thought just originate in my mind. Is it just something I want to do? And if it's something you want to do, just say, I want to do it. Just say, I want to do this, okay? And then thirdly, some thoughts God plants in our mind. Some thoughts God plants in our mind. Remember when Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus replied, Peter, God revealed this to you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. So it's a beautiful thing to know that there are times when God has put the thought in our mind. And then fourthly, some thoughts are planted in our mind from Satan. Now, that's, a, that's something we have to be aware of too. Peter said, once Jesus said, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to be betrayed, Peter looked at him and reprimanded Jesus. This is not going to happen to you. And Jesus said... You're blessed. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. The, the tradition that King James said, get behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus was not calling Peter Satan. What he was saying that the thought you have originated in Satan because the father's God sent Jesus to the earth to die. Peter said, you're not going to die. So Jesus knew that thought contradicted what God had said to him. So we see now that some thoughts come from people. Some thoughts come from ourselves. Some thoughts come from God and some thoughts come from Satan, originating Satan. So the question is, how do we discern these thoughts? How do we possess our souls? How do we control our thinking? I'm going to give you four basic keys to controlling your thinking the rest of the way. Number one, and you, if you've been with me any length of time, you're going to remember this. Think about what you're thinking about. That's the first key to controlling your thoughts. Think about what you're thinking about. Now, that may seem very simple, but it's profound. It's profound in the sense that much of the time, we're not thinking about what we're thinking. We're just thinking. We're just thinking. We're not even evaluating the thoughts. We're not asking ourselves, okay, where did that thought come from? And I hope after this session, you'll start asking yourself, where did that thought come from? Where did that thought come from? Now, listen, think about what you're thinking about. And if you can discipline yourself to think about what you're thinking about, you'll be in a better position to discern the origin of the thought. The second key is analyze the thought or the suggestion. You got to analyze it. You got to put the thought through a grid. Now, Philippians 4, 8 is a good grid. 
I taught that years ago that you can take Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and lovely, good report, if they're being a virtue, if they're being a praise, think on these things. So the Bible gives us a grid to analyze the thoughts and analyze because any thoughts that fall outside of Philippians 4, 8 is a thought we shouldn't be thinking about. Now, let me, let me give you some questions you can some questions you can think about you can think about. Number one, is the thought consistent with scripture? Is what I'm thinking consistent with what God says in the Bible? Isaiah 8:20 says, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Isaiah 8:20. King James Version says, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The New Living Translation says, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. Now, does the thought line up with scripture? That's the first thing. You're analyzing. The second key to controlling is to analyze your thoughts and your ideas and the suggestions. Here's another question. Does the thought acting on take life and faith from you? If you act out on the thought, Will it take life from you? Will it take faith from you? Or will it build your faith or increase your faith? Here's another question. I'm going to give you enough questions so you can, you can grab one or two of these and you can use them. Does the thought acted on bring glory to God? Does the thought acted on? And a very clear example is this. Okay, I'm being tempted, teaching purposes only, tempted toward a relationship with another woman. Teaching purposes only. Teaching purposes only. And I'm thinking that this woman is good for me. This is a blessing for me. Well, now... If I act on that thought and a relationship takes place and the relationship hits the fan, you know what hits the fan mean? In other words, everybody find out about it, wife, children, everybody find out, church find out about it. Will that bring glory to God? Well, you know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. So if I act out on a thought, will it bring glory to God? Another question. Does the thought attack your self-worth? Does it attack your self-worth? Does it attack your value? As you're thinking about this, do you feel bad about yourself? Do you feel I'm no good? I'm a failure. Uh, I always mess up. 
does it bring value? Does it make you feel good about yourself? Does it build your self-esteem or does it tear you down? You always mess up. You'll probably blow the relationship. Does the thought attack your self-worth? God never will attack your self-worth even if you sin. He's not going to call you a failure. He's not going to say you're no good. He's never going to say Nobody, you you deserve to have nobody in your life. It attacks, does it attack your self-worth? Another question, does the thought isolate you? If you act on the thought, will you be isolated? Will you be disconnected from support? This is a big strategy of the enemy. Sometimes Christians, they fall out. You know what fall out means. They get angry, they're disappointed with the church or disappointed with the minister or disappointed with somebody. And what they do, they say, I'm not dealing with church. I'm through with ministers. I'm through with preachers. And they end up isolated. Uh, Sometimes it's not church. Sometimes it's people who are in our lives who are supportive of us, Satan wants to cut off our support chain. He wants to support, cut off our support line. In other words, he wants us in a position where we're isolated. You remember my story about uh, uh, a geographic, those movies, those pictures about the little Zebras trying out there in the in the uh, safari and the bad old tiger in line. He's trotting behind the herd, but he doesn't attack the herd. And then one little old zebra, zebra. You see these on National Geographic. The zebra pulls off from the from the herd, and the lion, the tiger, attacks the isolated uh, zebra. Well, what Satan does, he wants to isolate us, get us where we don't have a support system, nobody around us. So does the thought acted on isolates you? Does the thought suggest you should not trust anyone? Well, you shouldn't trust anybody forever again. Now, again, you're isolated because trust is critical to the formation and the maintenance of relationships. You got to have trust. And what Satan wants you to generalize the betrayal, generalize the breakup, and make it all men, all women, all churches, all whatever, because he wants you to not trust anyone. Now, does the thought contradict the finished work of Jesus? Does the thought contradict the finished work of Jesus? Well, you know, God is not going to heal you. He's not going to heal you. You've been too bad. God's not going to heal you. Uh, That passed away with the early early church. The Bible doesn't say that. God is willing, and he took your infirmities and bore your sickness, so there's never a time where God's going to give you a thought, well, I'm not going to heal you this time. It's not God. I'm testing you. I'm preparing you. No, 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 no. That contradicts the finished work of Jesus, by whose stripes you were here. Are these good questions? I think they're I think they're good questions. Does the thought destroy your ability to believe God loves you? Does it destroy the ability to believe God loves you? Any thought that comes to you that implies, suggests that God doesn't love you, 
is a thought that you should be casting down. You shouldn't think on a thought that implies or suggests or is directly says God doesn't love you. Does the thought hinder your ability or your motivation to operate in love toward others? Does the thought hinder your ability or your motivation to operate in love toward others? We are commissioned by the head of the church to love one another. We are commissioned to love our brethren. We are commissioned to love those who hate us, those who are enemies. We are commissioned. So any thoughts that tells you or hinders you from operating in the love of God is a thought you shouldn't be thinking about. Does the thought paint a picture of hopelessness, defeat? You might as well give up. You might as well quit. It's over. Game over. You didn't get your prayer answered. God didn't come through. Any thought that paints a picture of hopelessness or defeat is not a thought from God. Does the thought suggest that you should quit or commit suicide? That's a big one. Does the thought suggest that you should commit suicide or just throw your hands up and not fight anymore? Throw your hands up and just quit. That is not a thought from God. That is a thought from Satan. Does the thought keep you stuck in the past? Does the thought keep you stuck in the past? You failed your marriage. You didn't do this right toward your children. You didn't do this right. You lied. You steal. You cheated. You did this. And even though you have repented and changed, the thought just keeps coming back to you about what you did. If the thought keeps you stuck in the past, it's not a thought from God. Does the thought take you away from being under authority? You know, there are many Christians, many Christians, they are not connected to any church, any pastor. They're just kind of doing their own thing, you know, doing their own thing. So they have no covering. There's nobody over them spiritually. I'm not talking about lording over them, but I'm talking about praying for them, interceding from them. I pray on a regular basis. Prayers are important to me, but there are people who don't submit to me. I, they don't, they don't, and they're not submitting to any other pastor. So they're just without any oversight, any spiritual oversight. And really that's counter to scripture. Uh, the Bible tells us to honor those who have oversight over us. And the Bible tells us that they're watching for our souls, that they're accountable. But any thought that tells you, you don't need to be under anybody. You got the Holy Spirit. You can just do, you can listen to God for yourself. You don't need a man telling you that's not a thought from God. So number one, how do I control my thoughts? Number one, I have to think about what I'm thinking 
about. And then number two, I have to analyze the thoughts, analyze the idea, analyze the suggestion. And I gave you questions, a bunch of questions that you can use. But remember, Philippians 4, 8 is a grid that you can use to analyze your thoughts. Whatsoever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. If they're being a virtue, if they're being a praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Think on these things. Things, think on these things. Now, here's the third key. Number one, think about what you're thinking about. Number two, analyze the thought, idea, or suggestion. Put it through the grid. Put it through the grid. And then thirdly, you have to either accept the thought, if it's coming from God, if it's inspired by God, and even if it's your thought but it's consistent with Scripture, then you have to decide to accept, but you have to decide to reject. This is the third key, accept or reject the thought. You got to accept or reject the thought. You got to, you know, sometimes people are talking on television. I talk to the television a lot. They, they'll say something on the news. They interview someone and they, cause they'll say something like, it could happen to anyone and I, I always talk back to the television. I said, no, no, it shall not come near my dwelling. It shall not come near me and my family. You see what I'm doing? The person said, they're breaking in everyone's house. They're Now, this is a person. Their home was broken in. They're breaking in everyone's house. Well, everyone would include me, you, and everybody else. So what I do, I reject that thought. I just will not receive that thought. Whenever they say, you know, all those preachers, well, all preachers would include me. And then they say something negative. I said, well, no, I don't receive that. I don't receive that. I don't receive that. See, you have to decide what you're going to accept or reject. That's the third key. In that third key, listen at this. You reject thoughts by not saying it. You reject thoughts by not saying it and not acting on it. That's the way you reject thoughts. You don't say it and you don't act on it. Now, you're saying it brings agreement. I hear people say things all the time, and I don't always... Um, I try to be respectful of people. So sometimes people will say something, uh, and, and I'll listen to them, and later, when I'm by myself, I'll say, God, I don't receive that. I do not agree with that. Now, I didn't want to get in a debate with the person, you know, and we get to arguing about something. But if they say something off the wall, I'll sit there. Sometimes I'll say, well, you know, this is what I feel. But really, to be honest with you, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time with people. When I'm by myself, I say, God, I do not accept that. I do not agree with that. And Satan, I want you to know there's no agreement with this is what God said to me. And I agree with God. I don't agree with what so-and-so said. And I don't have to be with the person to do that. Okay. The Bible says in Proverbs 30, verses 32, the B part of the verse, it says, if thou hast 
thought evil, lay your hands on your mouth. Listen at that. If thou hast thought evil, lay your hands on your mouth. In other words, don't let it come out of your mouth. That's why Jesus says, take no thought saying it. Don't take the thought and say it. You see, a thought that's not acted on and a thought that's not verbalized by you has no life. It has no potential to destroy you. It's when you, it will die unborn if you don't say it and don't act on it. It'll just die. I mean, it will die. If you don't talk it, the thought comes to you about suicide. I'm not going to talk about that. Now, if I'm in counseling, you're in counseling, you can tell the counselor, the minister, whoever, I'm having these thoughts. I'm having the thoughts of suicide because you're talking to the counselor, okay? So you're giving them insight on what you're dealing with. But in your own personal life, you can't take the thought and say it. You can't take the thought and say it. When you take the thought, and say it, you have agreed with the thought, you're releasing it out there, and you're giving Satan material to work with. Don't act on it. Don't act on it. Don't say it. Don't act on it. That's how you reject. So the third key is to accept the thought or reject the thought. Accept the thought, reject the thought. Now, you know it's easy to accept the thought. I agree with that. That's true. And you're saying it and you're acting on it. Now you've accepted it. But if you're going to reject it, you don't say it, you don't act on it. So the third key to controlling your thinking is to accept or reject the thought or the suggestion. And then here's the fourth and final key. Replace the negative thought with the spoken word. Replace the negative thought thought with the spoken word. Replace the negative thought with the spoken word. In other words, if the thought comes to you, okay, and if we've taken it through the grid, it does not line up with scripture. It's outside of Philippians 4, chapter 8. I know it's out of bounds. I know this is an unlawful thought. Now, listen, what I have to do in that situation, I have to replace the negative thought with the word coming out of my mouth. In other words, I cast down the contradictory thought, but that's just one half of your responsibility. A lot of times people, uh, they're, 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 no, I rebuke that thought. I rebuke that thought. I'm not going to take that thought. That's great. That's the first part of it. That's great. I rebuke that thought is great. I don't take that thought is great. But you can't stop there. You cannot allow your mind to be vacant. Now, some people are casting down, but they're not replacing. They're casting down but they're not replacing the thought. They're not saying what the word says. Now listen at this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. It says, when the unclean spirit leaves a person, it walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. 
he says, the unclean spirit, I'll return to my house that I left. In other words, I'll go back to the person that I uh, occupied. The Bible says when the spirit come back, he find the house empty, clean, and garnished. In other words, the house is clean, but it's vacant. There's nothing there. No furniture was put in there. The house is vacant. So the scripture says he will take seven other spirits. They enter the person, and the last state is worse than the first. The principle is that once you cast out a negative thought, you resist that thought. You can do whatever you want. You can say that thought has no power over me. I renounce that thought. I do not agree with that thought. That's one part of it. Now we got to take God's word and fill the house. So we got to start saying what God's word says. For example, I'll give you two. For example, if the thought of suicide comes to your mind, if the thoughts, we run that through the grid and we know that's not consistent with the scripture. We, we know it's not consistent with Philippians 4.8. It's not consistent with the questions. It's not consistent with scripture. Nowhere in scripture that says, well, I want you to commit suicide. You won't find that in the Bible. So I resist that thought in the name of Jesus, that thought of suicide. I resist that thought in the name of Jesus. I will not receive that thought, Satan. I will not take that thought. I will not own that thought. I don't agree with that thought. Okay, that's good. But now we got to replace it, fill the house Psalms 118 says, I'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. i live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. So now I, I cast down the thoughts. I didn't agree with it. I resisted it. I rebuked it, whatever I needed to do. I don't agree with suicide. I will not accept that. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And Every time that thought comes, I'll say, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Now, the beautiful thing about it is Satan can't stand hearing you speak the word. It's a sword. It drives him out. If you say that every time he comes, you just ought to kill yourself. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. That's over in Psalms 118. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Satan cannot, no suicide spirit can stand you saying what God said because it's the sword of the spirit. Now it's coming out of your mouth. I will live and not die. I will live and not die. My God supplies all my needs. You're going to go broke. You're going to lose everything. My God supplies all my needs. I, I made a confession that I've been speaking over my flock and over my family. I say, I speak growth, increase, and no loss. I speak growth, increase, no loss. I speak growth, increase, no loss. See, a lot of people, when they get in this situation, this pandemic, they start talking, they start talking a lack of growth increase. They start talking, I'm going to lose this and I'm not going to make this and I won't be able to pay this and my child going to get sick and I'm going to get sick. They talk about all these things, but I'm saying growth, 
I speak over my life, over my family, over my flock. I speak growth because that's God's will to grow in grace and in knowledge of God. Even though we're isolated to a degree, even though we're not attending church in person right now, we can still be growing. We can still be in the word. We can still be meditating in the word. We can still be listening to the podcast. We can still be look, listening to Sunday services online. We, we can still have our own personal quiet time, still making our confession, still praying, so we can grow even in this season. We can grow if we are intentional. Increase. I speak increase. And the reason I speak increase over my flock, family, and myself is because when you listen to all these people, you know, they got to cut this and they got to cut this and we they got to cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and you hear cut and cut and cut and cut, cut and cut and cut and cut and cut cutting checks and cutting this and cutting hours, cut, cut, cut. When you keep hearing that, you'll start planning to cut. But I'm expecting to increase. I speak increase over my church, increase over my members, increase over my life, increase, increase, and no loss. I said no loss. I'm not going to lose anything. I'm not going to lose my job. And this is what I'm saying about our members. They're not going to lose their job. They're not going to lose their businesses. They're not going to go bankrupt. They're not. They're no loss. No loss. They're not going to lose their house. No loss. They're not going to lose their car. They're not going to lose their, their credit rate rating. No loss. I'm speaking no loss. Now, Years ago, and I'll close with this. Years ago, I was studying the lives of great ministers, just studying the lives of great ministers to get the inspiration of them. But the interesting thing is I read different books about different great men and women of God. They would always do these exploits. And then somewhere along the line, doctrinally or morally or financially or something, they were all they were falling. They were getting messed up and they were backsliding and they were addicted to drugs and they were uh, sleeping with everybody and just crazy stuff. And so I was praying about it. I was on the floor one day and I was crying. I was saying out to God, I said, God, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to fall. I don't want to get there and I'm messing up. And I was just crying in the spirit of God gave me a scripture and he spoke it out to me. He said, you shall both do great things and prevail. You shall both do great things and prevail. And from that day forward, I've always said things like when the dust settles, I'm going to be standing. I don't care who's falling. I am going to stand. I don't care who messes up. I am going to sin. I don't care who did, does this, who does that, who did this, who stole that, who had an affair here. I shall both do great things and prevail. Now, watch this. The thoughts always come to you. 43 years in October, I'll be saved, and the thoughts still come to me. You ain't going to make it. Church ain't going to make it. You, you ain't, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. Satan will never stop bringing thoughts. He's going to always bring some thoughts to us. But the good news about it is that we can replace it with God's word. So whenever something happened like that, I start saying what God said. I'll both do great things and prevail. I'm not going to fall because I'm not because I'm so strong and, and I'm incapable. No, 
I'm agreeing with what God said. Now, I trust that was a blessing for you. We talked about taking control of your thoughts. I think I got some questions here, but let me review for a minute. The first key to taking control, I got to know, I got to know that I can. I got to know where thoughts come from. And then to control my thoughts, I have to think about what I'm thinking about. Then secondly, I have to analyze the idea, the thought, the suggestion. And then thirdly, I have to accept or reject it. And then fourthly, I have to replace the negative thought with the spoken word, words coming out of our mouths. Now, I'm not through with this subject, Thought War, because now that we've got agreed and we know how to take control, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta begin and learn how to renew our minds. We gotta renew our minds, and we gotta start meditating on the word. And we're gonna be talking about that in some other lessons. I'm glad you pray you got blessed today. I do have some questions. This is a muted voice question. I thank you for your tremendous study and sharing of us as African-Americans and as the body of Christ. I'm in tears right now after listening to Sunday's message, especially the white people looting portion. I'm so overwhelmed and hurt for us as a people and as believers. My questions are how do we move forward? What does that look like? How do we maintain a pride balance with forgiveness, knowing and realizing even more just how much we have been wrong, seeing the impact of our children in society? Well, great question. Several questions. Listen, when I talked about that was in episode four, and I was talking about black self-hate, I talked about white folk looting, and I talked about uh, dog whistle politics. The theme of it was accountability, the theme of it. When I dealt with black self-hate, I was talking about the importance of us as black people accepting responsibilities on issues we can control, but I was also trying to inspire black people uh, to get in connected to their history because blacks have a great history. So you have to study and meditate and get books and, and all that kind of, and I gave you a list of books. But when I was talking to white people, I wasn't trying to bring up the past so white people walk around feeling guilty. And I certainly wasn't teaching it so black folk walk around angry. What you have to remember is forgiveness is always a part of it, but you have to also remember that the white people that you're interacting with in our time didn't commit slavery, they they didn't own slaves, you know what I mean? So don't take what you learn in history and apply it to every white person today because that wasn't what I was saying. I wanted white people to understand our past so that they will have some empathy so that they will realize that we're not just playing the race card, that there are some issues because we need white people as allies. We're on the same team and they cannot, they cannot 
respect and have mutual respect for us as a teammate if they don't know what we contributed because what we contributed was looted. So I wanted Pete, white people to know black people made a con contribution and this is the contribution. So now we can look at each other on an equal level. You move forward always by forgiveness. You move forward by educating yourself and you move forward by prayer. I do it all the time, but I'm not walking around mad at black folk for everything or white folk for everything. I'm not walking around. I needed that knowledge to know the Bible is a multiracial, multicultural book. That's a great question. And I hope I answer some of it. I have always known many of the facts uh, you spoke, but hearing them all together that Sunday just caused a flood in my heart and emotions. And I think I've given you some wisdom and you ask for wisdom. Where do feelings from the body, pain or anxiety, fear emanate? What do you, what do you do? Well, see, feelings for the most part are either emotional or physical pain. If it's a physical pain, you got to deal with it from a physical standpoint. If it's emotional, then is it the result of pain, the thoughts, the, the feelings I have usually are the results of the kind of thoughts that I'm thinking because the thoughts impact your feelings. So if it, you know, you, you'd be absolutely amazing how forgiveness will help you with some of those feelings. A lot of times we have unresolved issues in our souls and we let the wrong thing get in us like resentment and bitterness and rejection and all those different things. But you, I think I gave you some of the answers on how you control your, your thoughts because the key is controlling your thoughts. If you control your thoughts, you can control a lot of the many other things happening in your life. Um, how, how long, and, and, and most of the time, where do my feelings come from? A lot of time from what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing. Uh, how long does it take when you're controlling your thoughts? I don't know how long it's going to take. And that's why I gave the illustration about if you have given your mind consistently to pornography, you're going to have to give your mind consistently to the word. But Think about it like this, not how long it's going to take. Let's think about controlling our thoughts as a lifestyle. Don't think of it as a destination because in October, I will be saved 43 years in October. And even after walking with the Lord for 43 years, I still have to control the thoughts that come into our minds because Satan didn't disappear. He's still there. His demons are still here. We're still in a fallen world and we're still overcoming the impulses or the, the, the temptation to yield to our flesh. So controlling our thought is not a destination, it's a lifestyle. You should be controlling your thoughts on a, on a regular basis. For example, just recently I did something at the house and I felt stupid when I did that. And I felt like a failure. It wasn't that deep because the next day it was 
the next day it was resolved. But I felt that way. I felt stupid. I felt like a failure. I felt like, how could I make that dumb thing? How could I do that dumb thing? Okay. But that was, I wasn't thinking about what I was thinking about. I was just thinking and I was feeling a certain way, but it really had to do with what I had done, what I had experienced, the mistake that I made, but it wasn't that deep, really. And if I told you what it was, you said, I can't even believe you even thought that. Listen, I'm saying it's a lifestyle. It's not an event. And Satan will bring the strangest, craziest, the outlandish thing to your mind, but you can control your thought life. Um, if you're traveling in a vehicle and a suicidal thought passes, should you speak the word knowing that your passenger may be frightened? <laughs> that is a good question. I mean, that is a good question. I, I, I submit to you, if you're driving and that thought comes to you, I submit to you, you can just say, I don't receive that. I don't receive that thought. I don't receive that thought. I think that we have thought that Satan can just come in and make us do stuff. You know what I mean? You know, you've got to choose to act on the thought. Even if you're in an automobile, you got to choose to act on the thought. The only way a person can't control their thoughts, I mean, just can't. They spend time in the word, they confess the word, and they spend time, but they just can't. Then that person needs some deliverance. Now you need counseling, you need prayer, you need some deliverance, you need some counsel. Much of the time, that's not the issue. We just thought, and it was an erroneous thought, it was a thought planted by Satan. We thought Satan could just come in and make us do crazy stuff. Just come in and make us do crazy stuff. Just come in and make us. No, he can't. He, you got to choose to think it, speak it, and act on it. Satan can't make us do anything. Um, Thank you, Pastor, for teaching this lesson today. I left work today after being on the clock for 45 minutes because I was dealing with depression, and I felt like I just wanted to end it all. Thank you for praying for me. And yes, I do pray for you. And in fact, I pray for you right now, and I break the power of depression over you now in the name of Jesus, and I speak peace, and I speak wholeness, to your mind and to your soul. And I come against depression and I command you to go right now in the name of Jesus. We're gonna help you some more now because we're going to move out into mind renewal because it's not just grabbing a scripture. We have to build it in on the inside of us. We gotta to begin to renew our mind and we're gonna be talking about that. I love you. And I trust you got something out today.